Yo, people, people, what's happening? How are you doing? It's fantastic to finally get a breather, to take some time to check in with my folks, to say what's up, and also just catch you up on all the things that have been going on. Like this week has been incredible. I've been all over the place. In fact, let me take a look at my calendar just so I can give you an update. Like Monday started off with us mobilizing our community, getting people to come to what is called a scoping meeting. Now, as you may know, the Clippers are trying to build an arena in my city. Now, we already got the LA Rams stadium that's connected to a $4 billion project that's commercial and retail. There's no affordable housing set aside. The houses that are being built are like 700000 to $2 million. So they're not really building that whole situation for people like me, who have been in this community for such a long time. 60, 63% of the community are renters. You know, but we, we got on board with that project because people were really excited about what that was going to bring, how it was going to be a boon to the community and bring in resources and funding, you know, through tax revenue, the whole nine, da, da, da. So we were good. You know, Hollywood Park Casino got built and it's like, OK, they redoing the streets on Century Boulevard. I'm like, OK, there's a hell of an amount of traffic already going on in our city. People who work on one side of town, it takes them like 30 minutes to get to the other side of town. And Inglewood is only nine square miles. Fine. But here we are. We got the mayor of city of Inglewood basically being like Icarus reaching too far to the sun, melting his wings. Because, man, the Clippers don't need to come to the city. In fact, the way that they're doing it by being on public land, first of all, that public land, because of the Surplus Land Act in the, in the state of California, states that they should be looking to use that for affordable housing. Now, nah, they circumvented the whole deal. And uh, there's reports coming out now through the papers, the local papers in L.A. and The Wave, L.A. Times, The Wave. Uh, there was news reports and everything that they tried to back in this deal. It's no good, man. No good. So make a long story longer. <laughs> uh, yeah, this Clippers Arena coming to the city, they were trying to uh, use... Land from Prairie to Yukon, Century to 104th. Why is that significant? Because 102nd to 104th are all apartment buildings, single-family homes, churches. And in the exclusive negotiating agreement that they signed back in June last year, it stated that they could use eminent domain to build this arena. So, of course, as an organization, a social justice organization, we had to get involved. As a concerned community member, myself, personally took this as a slap in the face. And so we've been mobilizing and organizing people since then. Here's the deal. This project has continued to move forward. There has never been an opportunity for the public to be able to speak their piece on if they even want the arena. And so this scoping meeting, bringing it back to where I started this conversation was the first opportunity for the public to speak their piece. And so we mobilized them on this past Monday. They came through to be a part of the environmental impact reporting process through the scoping meeting. 
and let the city have it, man. We had about almost 200 people in a room that is only supposed to have like 100 people in it. <laughs> and people were definitely giving their opinion. Now, most times in a scoping meeting like this, city council is supposed to be in the room to make it an official commenting period for people to actually get on the record. Nah, man, they changed the whole thing up. And so city council wasn't even there. They created this gallery rock type situation. They the, the hired hands that they have from the robber group were the ones trying to get political. I mean, the community buy in from the project, you know, standing at the billboards and trying to explain what the different part. Man, if you don't get out of here with all that, like we had the news out. Like it was a very big deal. We had about 13 different hits on the news. I did a couple of interviews. Um, so did my man Woodrow. We were out there, man, really, really organizing with the people and making sure the voices are heard. And I think it's loud and clear now that there is a constituency in this city that do not want this arena to happen. Follow that up. The following day, I had the opportunity to uh, go and speak on a panel on behalf of the Uplift Inglewood Coalition, which is the group of community members who are organizing together to actually uh, not only stop that project, but also make sure we have rent stabilization in our community. And I got to talk at the housing roundtable uh, that was that Uplift Inglewood was invited to by Liberty Hill Foundation and really just let people know exactly why we stand where we stand when it comes to supporting the rights of tenants in the city. And like I said, 63%, actually 67% now of the city are renters. And at this moment, because we don't have rent stabilization, we got people all over the city who are getting hit with these ridiculous uh, rent increases uh, from like no less than Three hundred dollars, no more. Like even more to like a thousand. The most I've heard was twelve hundred dollars. And why are they able to do this? This is not mom and pop folks who are just arbitrarily raising their rents. Nah, man. This is actually the thirty percent of corporate interests that now own housing stock that is four plexes or higher in our city. They came out of nowhere and just started buying up large swaths of our community, evicting whole buildings worth of people and raising the rents astronomically. They're the ones destabilizing our rental economy. And so there's a lot of work to do, man. You know, the things that we're talking about are the bare bones, the basics. But we got bigger ideas of making sure that those 67 percent have their feet underneath them so that they can prepare themselves for the next level of their lives to, you know, established roots in our city. And ultimately, we just want to make sure that our city, full of people who have been here for years, some for generations, have the ability to stay and reap the benefits of all the great things that are coming to the city. That's really what it all comes down to. Now, we differ in opinion of how that's supposed to be done from the powers that be. But like my mama taught me, Sometimes you got to just be honest, speak up, and speak truth to power, and not be afraid to do so. So that was Monday and Tuesday. Uh, this past Thursday, I was at, because uh, I'm also working with the Inglewood Business Expansion Club, and we're organizing the business community down on Market Street, 
to make sure that all the things that are supposed to be coming downtown don't displace them. And so there was a meeting with the city council member who represents the area. And man, like the presentation that they did really throughout the whole time, they were talking down to the business owners like they were children. Like Y'all need to get it together and da 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 da. Like, man, if, if you're the city, you should be finding ways to make sure that your business owners who have been there for quite some time when no resources were being put into the area at all, still making things happen. There was a gentleman from Woody's Barbecue. He was talking about how he's been the owner of his building for like 20 years and the homeless situation has escalated in the community. And when you think about it, if people are getting evicted from their apartment complexes and they can't afford a thousand dollar rent increase, what makes you think that they just going to have the ability to just move somewhere else? Like the, of course, the, how, uh, the homeless population is increasing. That's a real consequence of being evicted, being homeless. So anyway, he was saying that his parking lot, they're starting to pinch uh, pitch tents. And for almost the 20 years that he's actually been in that facility, like the city has never come to power wash the streets. He cleans up his own trash. Like as a business owner, the city has neglected him. Their response to his, to his concern was, Oh, well, yeah, yeah, just call my office and we'll, we'll work it out. We'll figure it out. In fact, that was the answer to every question that came up. And so I had to get up there and I said, look, in all respect, City Hall is a block away from Market Street. Instead of telling people to call you, why don't you just come out of the office and come walk the street? Because it's different when you see for yourself what they're seeing rather than hearing somebody on the phone give you a call and tell you what's going on. I'm just saying, like, at the end of the day, we got to hold these politicians accountable, man. And so, yeah, I got my hands in the pot in a lot of different places. And last but not least, yesterday, we had the chance to uh, restart our amazing project, the Food for Thought Produce Pickup. You know, during the times of the Black Panther Party, they were making sure that people were well-nourished. Uh, you know, of course, we hear about the breakfast program and stuff like that. And this food for thought produce pickup is in the in the line of that type of work. You know, we last year through only three events once a month, we gave away over 20,000 pounds of fresh produce to over 700 families. Right. And so we're going to be doing this every third Friday at Morningside High School, 10500 Yukon Avenue, Inglewood, California, 90303, right? And making sure that people have access to fresh produce. Now, that's only once a month, but we got our friends who from CalFresh to make sure those who are eligible can sign up for that. Uh, we had some folks out giving away $5 Target gift cards to fill out a survey. Like, we want to make sure our community members are taken care of over time, man. And I love that event, like... Working with Food Forward to make this happen has been a tremendous honor, mainly because I just love the fact of how many community members we're able to serve and how much fun we're having being out there. I mean, we put together 500 bags yesterday of produce and uh, gave every single one of them away within the hour. <laughs> and we're doing it every third Friday for the rest of the school year. So if you are listening to this and you want to be a part of the movement and a part of all the things that we're doing, 
I more than welcome you to come. Like, we would love to have you. So, yeah, I'm taking a moment, taking a breather today. This morning, my beautiful wife gave me the opportunity to just chill out. Uh, Last night, I also got a chance to get up with my man, Brian. I'm so proud of you, my G, of all the things that are going on in your life. To have the type of dilemma you have and the decisions that you have to make be that way as a black man in America, I am so ecstatic for the things you got going on, man. Like, holla at me if you need anything. But yeah, so I just wanted to catch you up, man. There's a lot going on in the city of Inglewood. He still got his hands in a lot of different things, but it's all for the people. All for the people. And so that's what it is. Now, I'm adding this to a part of the podcast that I actually recorded the interview and panel discussion from the housing roundtable that I was a part of on Tuesday. And so if you want to listen through it, I think it's a good solid like 45 minutes of it. Um, It's not just me talking. You actually get to hear the entire context of what's happening throughout L.A. County. There are, I think, seven cities right now. It's Inglewood, Glendale, Long Beach, Pasadena, uh, Pomona. So that's five cities. Plus the unincorporated areas so that, that we're all working to get rent stabilization. And all of us are doing it for different reasons. And our rent stabilization uh, charter amendments all look different as well because the way that we want to imp- put it in place is different throughout each city. You know, it's interesting because in the history of Los Angeles, it was back in the 70s when Liberty Hill was leading the path to help people get rent stabilization throughout the city back then. And so here we are with the rental economy kind of going through a lot of the same abrupt changes. And, you know, we got to we got to make sure we're taking care of each other. So it was a really good discussion. A lot of great information was put out. And I know that there are cities dealing with the same type of thing all across the country, even the one I'm from, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I know that displacement is a very real deal out of some of our communities like Homewood and the Hill District. So if you want to listen in to what's going on and maybe learn some things so that you can maybe even take to your people who are organizing around this issue in your city. If you have any questions at any time or if you want to know more, if you want to talk, have a discussion more about these issues, holler at me, man. Like I, I'm really glad to talk these things out. I mean, I, I know if you are listening to my podcast, you know that I wear the hat of a father I wear the hat of a husband, very proud. Those are my two most favorite jobs. But I'm also a a consultant and entrepreneur. But more more than that, like for the last eight years, I have been a program director at a local nonprofit, a social justice organization looking to create opportunities for healthy lifestyles in our built environment. And when you're doing that, it puts you in a posture of being in different conversations. And this year, I have decided to double down on all of that. Like I am, you know, laser focused in this area and doing the work as well as I can in my capacity, knowing that the relationships and the people that I'm going to meet along the way through this journey is going to open up the doors for all the other things I got going on anyway. So it's all about, I tell people all the time, Give me an opportunity to say no, which means hit me with everything. If I can do it, I'm going to do it. And if I can, I can't. 
But I just want to know all the things that are going on because to me, this is a game of chess. And the best way to really strategize the best moves forward is to have as much information as possible about what's going on in your atmosphere. Okay, so that's what this is about. Yes, this is political D. You doing this thing. Add another, you know, feather in my cap because I'm all over the place doing all types of things. But that's what this life is about. <laughs> all right, I'm going to wrap it up right there, man. Thanks for listening in. I hope all is well with you and your families. And I'm praying for success in all things that you have going on. Because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, at the end of it all, we got to do what we can to live legendary. All right, folks, take it easy. Peace. I'd like to go ahead and have our speakers come on up and join us here at these high chairs. Um, and quickly, I'll introduce them as they're coming up, and then they'll also share a little bit more about themselves. So uh, our four um, presenters for this evening, and then again, we'll have other speakers as well, but our four presenters for this evening include first Joe Donnellan from SAGE, Strategic Actions for a Just Economy, who will be presenting a bit of the, the housing context. Um, sharing with us the landscape around the national perspective, the local, as well as the regional and statewide. We also have Joe Delgado, who will be speaking, representing ACE. Yeah, we can do some shout outs for people that we, you know, we can share some love with each other here. Awesome. So Joe, Joe Delgado will be speaking about this amazing moment that we're in, uh, where we have this great tenants movement really swelling and resurging across the state and here locally. And Joe will be sharing some stats and facts and opportunities as well as sharing a little bit about that momentum. We also have folks who are going to talk about some very local campaigns. One in Inglewood, Derek Steele from the Social Justice Learning Institute will be, yes, give it up for Derek, will be sharing with us uh, some great uh, opportunities to get involved in Inglewood and some of that context right here in LA County. And then we have Yesenia Miranda Meza, who will be sharing with us what's happening in Pomona. So we have a wide swath of Los Angeles and the state represented here, and we're really excited to dive right in. So without further ado, I'll pass it off to Joe Donnellan, who's gonna share some context with us. Um, so again, Joe Donlin with Sage Strategic Actions for a Just Economy. Very happy to be a part of this today with all of you. Appreciate Liberty Hill Foundation um, bringing this room together. It's a really great group. Um, so I have the the great um, honor and kind of you know I think valuable moment to to kind of think about some of the context and I wanted to to lift up some themes. So. Um, at first, it was like, well, what's the, you know, what's the situation in the housing market? Um, but really, want to think about context uh, as it relates to gentrification, displacement, and housing justice. <clears throat> and you know, just to to ground us a little bit, you know, our housing and gentrification contexts run very deep and are rooted in the founding of our underlying systems in the United States and globally, and the intentional and lasting dehumanization of so many people, black, African, indigenous, Latino, Asian, and Pacific Islander, and gender non-conforming folks, and the list can, can carry on, it, it, is real and it lives um, on today in, in, in many of the, the systems and contexts that we're talking about here. Um, 
And we know that, you know, when we're talking about kind of the, what that looks like in terms of the economic context, we're living in a world, you know, that is rising um, with rising wealth inequality. Um, and as wealth concentrates, uh, wealthy people look for places to invest. Um, you know, we're, we're seeing housing as a form of wealth concentrating in the hands of a very few. Corporations are buying up large numbers of single family homes. Blackstone is now one of the largest landlords in the country. I think the largest private landlord in the world. Um, wealthy individuals own multiple homes. People are making a living renting out apartments, short term rentals on platforms like Airbnb, um, taking them out of circulation for individuals and families who need them. Um, and so, you know, as we, we think about all of these things and, and many other related processes, you know, to address the housing crisis, we need housing to really be housing, um, not, um, you know, just for investment purposes um, and vacation pads. <clears throat> um, you know, as it says, you know, gentrification, housing justice, the problems, the roots, and solutions are intersectional. Um, and, I, you know, I like the phrases we use in the movement. We talk about housing justice, equitable development, anti-displacement, because they, they give us kind of clarity around what we're trying to achieve. And I also know that they're sometimes limiting. And, you know, so just wanted to lift up in the room today, you know, how we can all recall and integrate, you know, the lived and embodied intersectionality of these issues and their and how they live in the roots and in the solutions that we're trying to achieve. You know, it's obvious that central to housing justice and injustice um, is, is class and, and you know, the ability to afford housing. Um, but we also know, for example, that the black community suffers you know, among the highest rates of homelessness, right? We also know that trans folks and um, gender non-conforming folks also are among the highest who are homeless. Um, and so, what does, it, what, what does our organizing look like and what do our solutions look like when we take an intersectional approach that recognizes class and gender and race and other identities? Um, and is it coincidental that these same groups I mentioned also um, experience the highest rates of incarceration, highest rates of criminalization in our communities? And no, of course it's not coincidental because these issues are intersectional. Um, and therefore, you know, how we approach our housing justice efforts um, we need to be incorporating um, efforts to, to end anti-black racism, patriarchy, xenophobia, and white supremacy. So um, the last two things, I just want to touch on a quick federal context and then a, a quick state context, because Joe's going to, uh, Joe Delgado is going to go deeper on the, the state piece. Um, there's a, a new thing called um, Opportunity Zones, just in the new tax bill that was passed in December um, by the Congress. Um, and so I ask ourselves today, are these really gentrification zones that are being promoted? And um, there's very little information, it's just a little bit of language in the tax bill and a lot of speculation, if you will, about um, you know, where this is gonna go. But what's clear is that it's intended to give uh, massive tax benefits to, um, in, in um, the form of capital gains tax benefits for investors who invest in low-income communities um, that qualify for this. And the way it's structured is that if you prioritize the, the most gentrifying um, census tracts, then you um, get the biggest capital gains benefit. Um, and so um, there's still a lot to be worked out. Actually, tomorrow um, is the final day that the, the governor's office in California is receiving public comments on their 
initial set um, or, or initial proposal of census tracts. Um, and so check that out. I think it's the Department of Finance, the state of California, but we gotta keep an eye on this. <clears throat> and I know folks in the room know a lot about this as well. Um, the state threat I wanted to raise up is SB 827. Um, you may have heard about it, um, sometimes described as a transit-rich housing bonus um, brought forward by Senator Weiner. Um, it effectively removes density and, and, and floor area ratio limits, um, uh, kind of clears the deck um, for, de for development and increases the allowable density. And um, it's just really, really concerning. I mean, this is laid out throughout the state of California, um, upzoning um, and eliminating local um, zoning regulations and protections and um, the, the threat um, to our communities is huge around this. There have been some amendments that have been attempted um, and we say, you know, don't even try. It's not, it's not worth trying to fix a, a bill that started in the wrong place. So we can talk more about that, but I want to pass it on um, to our next speaker. Yeah, so Joe, if you want to stay there, you're welcome. Or if you want to come up here, you're also welcome. Yeah. So now we'll move again from the, the state perspective, the national perspective, and some of the historical perspective over to uh, a bit more about the state as well as um, some uh, momentum here in LA County. Joe? So I'm going to be talking tonight about the repeal of Costa-Hawkins and its ballot initiative form. Um, but before getting into that, I think it's important to just lay out kind of what it is and you know what other, you know, it's also, I was also in a legislative form. So just talking about what it is first, um, Costa-Hawkins is a law that was passed in 1995. It prohibits rent control on any single family rental units or condos. Um, prevents rent control in any apartments built after 1995 and after the year rent control was passed in, our, in your city. For instance, in Los Angeles, that's 1978, and that amounts to about 40 years worth of construction that cannot be rent controlled. Uh, it also eliminates vacancy control, which means landlords can raise the price of a unit uh, to any amount after rent control um, tenants move out. So, um, before getting into the, the ballot initiative, we should talk a little bit about what it was in its bill form. In 2017, Assemblymember Bloom uh, authored AB 1506, which was the repeal of Costa-Hawkins, and though it spent two years in the state legislature, it actually had a short lifespan. It spent very little time in its, first, in its committee in 2017 before it got kicked to a two-year bill, and then in the early part of this year, it came back and it was immediately, you know, dead on arrival. We only had, we had a Democratic-dominated committee that wasn't able to pass it. Um, as a result, you have one assembly member from the northern part of the state, Jim Woods, who voted no, and you have uh, an assembly member from Los Angeles who decided to abstain to vote and essentially killed the bill. So, groups now have been organizing around moving the ballot initiative and getting it qualified for the November ballot. Ahead of, ahead of getting it uh, to the state, there was some polling that was done and that's what you're seeing here. When the polling was done, the support for the bill, which is, or I'm sorry, the initiative is, <clears throat> AHA stands for the Affordable Housing Act. It started at above 60% and then finished at about 55% support. 
and the strongest support coming from millennials um, de and Democrats, independents, and voters of color. Um, the arguments against the Affordable Housing Act um, were less convincing than the arguments in support. What we saw from the data was that there was a strong support um, from California voters to uh, find a solution for the housing crisis. So uh, along with the ballot initiative uh, title and summary, which what is what folks are gonna see on the November ballot, there were other things that were asked of these voters. Um, and in if, you speak, uh, if you speak voter file language, the folks, that they, the folks that they polled were people that were, are known as likely voters. And traditionally, groups like ACE and SAGE and other community groups, we don't tend to try to mobilize the likely voters. We actually were more likely to try to get folks to vote that are in the um, like lower propensity area of voting. So these results are actually pretty inspiring because we know the people that we are in contact with every day are extremely supportive of this. So seeing this represents a base of voters that we wouldn't normally reach out to in a GOTV program. We want to talk about like how, you know, how do we win? How do we get to how do we get to a win in November? Um, so we want to lean on existing statewide infrastructure and local coalitions. So groups um, within the coalition that have been moving the state by, statewide ballot initiative have been reaching out to networks in all parts of the state, trying to get folks to come on board, endorse, start to carry the petition, to get signatures, to qualify. Um, we want to build a coalition far and beyond the usual suspects. So groups like um, in Pomona, the day laborers who are also a part and carrying petitions and groups that wouldn't traditionally be a part of like the housing bubble are experiencing the same thing that, that we are. Renters across the state are feeling it. So folks that would normally be in this housing advocacy bubble are actually joining in and being a part of carrying the, sign uh, the ballot initiative to get signatures. So we need to we need to raise more money for it. Um, we need to make sure that we raise another thirty million dollars for the effort. Um, we have movement style mobilizations of support, um, millennials, people of color, young activists, um, groups like DSA, um, rent control clubs. I think like a perfect example of, of that type of momentum are the groups that are here tonight. Like if you know if Pasadena's in the house, giving a shout out to Pasadena. Groups like Pomona, the Los Angeles Tenants Union. These groups are the volunteer groups that have been really pushing these these efforts, and they're not the traditional campaigner groups that are like ACE or other groups that are funded. These are groups that uh, have members that are coming home from work and then pulling out the clipboard and getting out and knocking on doors to make sure that their local cities, yeah. Hey, what's up, Santa Ana? Yeah. Um, yeah, to make sure that this, this local rent control passes in their cities. Um, to, you know, making sure that we're telling the stories of impacted families, seniors, children, and public camp, in public campaigning against rent gouging and corporate landlords. ACE has been, um, in the past couple of years, we've been lifting up stories of corporate tenants, uh, corporate landlord tenants, and have done a substantial amount of work on making sure that those stories get told. In the latter half of last year, Steve Lopez locally here did a series of stories on some of our members um, in LA County that were tenants of, of Invitation Homes, um, which Invitation Homes is a group that has purchased an enormous amount of single family homes that, as we said at the beginning of this, single family homes are not 
uh, able to be rent controlled. I'm gonna skip forward a little bit. Um, I'm gonna move into like, there's a movement happening right now in Los Angeles County. And if you look up here, what you're seeing are cities that are actively working on rent control in their cities and also uh, are about to go towards a ballot in, in their city. So single city of Inglewood, uh, the city of Long Beach, who uh, I heard are recently doing about a thousand signatures uh, a week, which is pretty amazing. Um, the city of Pasadena, uh, the city of Glendale recently uh, got petitions in hand and are collecting. The city of Pomona just filed today. Yeah. And um, Santa Ana in the back is on, on the move and about to present their language. So other cities in the state that are also going to look to go to the ballot is Sacramento, National City, and Santa Cruz, um, all ready to collect signatures. So, yeah. So, uh, We'll get this. So this is a, a list of groups that have endorsed uh, the local campaign, and this is not recently updated. So these are some of the groups um, that are in the room right now that are currently on the endorsement sheet for uh, the statewide initiative. legislative defense, some attacks, right? Because in this moment, we know that we need to both uh, play defense, uh, we need to protect our people, and we need to advance a progressive agenda here locally at the state level and here, which we heard about an initiative opportunity. Now we're going to hear a little bit more about what's happening locally here in Los Angeles County. We'll say that there are certainly a number of rent control campaigns that we'll be hearing about today. There are also a ton of other solutions and opportunities here in this room. We'll hear a little bit about the People's Plan coming next. But I want to certainly emphasize uh, Liberty Hill as the convening entity here tonight has been supporting tenants unions and tenants rights for the last 41 years. Since our very beginning of our founding, we were funding actually the Pasadena Tenants Union, which is now reemerged and here tonight. We also were funding the Long Beach Tenants Union, which also recently formed uh, with some organizing, a, a new organizing and resurging organizing in Long Beach. And we've been fighting the rent control fight and pushing for rent control to keep folks in their homes, to keep rent stable for decades. And so that's part of why we're highlighting some of what we're highlighting tonight. Although we also want to be open and hear from others in the room about other solutions that you're working on in ways that you're trying to solve the housing crisis. And we'll get to that. We want to spend a lot of time hearing from you. Right now, though, we have a couple of more speakers that we want to hear from and hear a little bit about what's happening in Inglewood and Pomona. And then we'll come back to some of the creative and innovative work of the People's Plan with Joe wrapping us up. So for now, let's have Joe, I'm sorry, Derek, uh, Derek Steele from Uplift Inglewood, share a little bit about what's happening in your hometown and how folks may want to get involved and take advantage of the opportunity to, uh, you know, walk in solidarity with you. How's everybody doing today? How's everybody doing this evening? I know we ain't good, you know. My name is Derek Steele. I am an Inglewood resident. Uh, my wife and I work in Inglewood. Our children go to Inglewood schools. And since 2010, uh, we both began working with the Social Justice Learning Institute uh, to actually champion uh, the positions and the needs and uh, organizing with community members uh, to create change, to create, 
create the change that's necessary in our communities. Uh, but you know, we're actually living in Inglewood and we're renters, like 63% of the city. And um, we're a little worried about the ability to continue to have that be the story, right? Um, uh, I am actually, I, I'm born and raised in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I moved here 10 years ago. Uh, I've never lived anywhere else except for Inglewood. And I wanna put an emphasis on that 10 years because in that same 10 years, uh, Mayor Butts has been the mayor of Inglewood. And uh, his position has been to, uh, in, his, in his own words, you know, bring Inglewood back to the glory days, right? And uh, I get that, I understand that. But the problem is that his narrative does not include us. Right. His narrative includes the future uh, uh, community of Inglewood. In fact, if you look at all the renderings, none of the renderings look like the people who are actually in the city. That's right. And that's problematic um, because he doesn't see it. And so all this growth and all these, uh, these quote unquote opportunities that are, that are being brought to the city, uh, you know, are, have these unintended consequences of displacing a lot of people. Now, displacement is a very real thing. You know, but, but I want to put a pin in that for a second because in the work of, of what we do at, social, at the Social Justice Learning Institute is you know, elevating and making sure that the overall health, education, and well-being of youth and community of color are, are taken care of, right? And so the youth that we're working with uh, throughout Los Angeles, South Los Angeles, Inglewood, uh, Hawthorne, and different parts of, of, the, of the county, um, you know, those students who usually uh, are, are some of them are incarcerated, who are formerly incarcerated. Uh, some of them are, are now being a part of the realignment issue because of Prop 47 through our balloon program. Some of them are not through our urban scholars program, but they're dealing with a lot of issues that keep them from being able to thrive, right? So we have the programming to help make that happen. In fact, last year, 100% uh, of our graduates graduated from high school and went on to the next phase in the next part of their lives. but. When we start talking about the funds that were formerly incarcerated and being uh, reintroduced back into the community, they don't have any homes to come to because displacement is a very real thing. Now, our mayor and his in the city council will say, "Oh, well, that's that's a part of that's a natural part of doing business. Like when you have growth, like those are the things that are going to happen." Okay, I, I get that, I understand that, but there are ways that we can do this work and do it in a way that includes people who have been here long standing for so long uh, to, to be a part of the success of the city that's coming. So what are we doing in Inglewood? It's a multi-pronged thing with Uplift Inglewood uh, because it's not just the Social Justice Learning Institute. In fact, Uplift Inglewood was brought together by one single community member who had some rent increases happening at his house, started looking at all the things that were happening in, in his particular building and started asking some questions. And then he came over to the Social Justice Learning Institute. Uh, he, he went over and, and uh, met with some friends at local churches and actually organized everybody to come together to start having a conversation about the rent issue, about displacement, about uh, the, the development that's coming to the city because we already had the stadium there, but then now they're talking about bringing the Clippers Arena. And so uh, that Clippers Arena and its area of focus is, is uh, the original intent had uh, 102nd to 104th Street included in the area, and that's all housing. Those are single family homes, those are apartment complexes, those are churches, right? And they were, they in, in the document, it said that eminent domain could be used, right? No, so we had to push back against that. 
and they even tried to push a bill with Senator Bradford to uh, to to have the EIR process that's supposed to happen that takes supposedly up to 18 months to make that truncate into nine months and then limit the court's ability to uh, 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 stop the project. But we had to stop that up on the, on the state level. And then when that happened, we also had to pivot to this rent control issue. Now, the the coalition itself is, is not just community-based organizations. It's not just uh, um, community members who are renters. It's also land uh, landlords, people who have been a part of the rental economy in Inglewood for years. What most people don't know is that 30% of the housing available that are fourplexes or higher are owned by corporate owners. And that's new news, okay? That has never been the case before. The rental economy in Inglewood has been stable for years, okay? It being, I, I mentioned the 10-year mark because the whole time that Mayor Bus has been there, the amount of renters has always been above 60%. So this is not, you know, we've been doing this and doing it good for, for quite a long time. And these corporate owners are the ones who are disrupting our economy in our city. And that's, that's the emphasis. Because they're even putting a squeeze on the mom and pops. The ones who are just trying to make a living, trying to pay for their, uh, for, for their kids to go to school. You know, they're putting a squeeze on them because they have to compete, right? So our, our, uh, our rental stabilization, and, and, um, and it, it takes that in consideration, and we're looking at this to make it a stable opportunity for everybody who actually lives in Inglewood now. And the corporate owners may be there now, but they don't live in our city. And to be honest, when you start asking questions, they, we don't want them there either, right? And so we're doing the due diligence. We're doing the work to uplift and keep for our community from being uprooted on many different fronts, right? So I'm glad to be here to kind of speak on those issues um, because I, I think it's important to talk about how we come together as community and start coming up with these solutions for ourselves because no one knows better what the solution should be than us. You know, so thank you very much for the opportunity. Right. All right, so we got folks going to the ballot at the statewide level. We got folks going to the ballot in Inglewood. And we have, as of today, folks going to the ballot in Pomona. Yeah. So to share a little bit about what's happening in Pomona and this resurgence of the tenants movement all across L.A. County and all the way on the east, eastern part of L.A. County up in Pomona, Yasina Miranda Meza will share a little bit about her personal journey as well as the great activism in Pomona. Good evening, everybody. Um, my name is Yasenia Miranda Meza. I'm here to represent PUSH in Pomona. And um, I'm fairly new at this. I actually got dragged into this, <laughs> which I don't mind because, you know, I'm a graduate from Cal Poly Pomona uh, with a poli-sci degree. So it was in my realm, you know, activism, advocate, CN. So um, it came at a perfect time and I'm running with it because the injustice to this is is incredible. I can't believe um, these landlords and corporate um, people have been getting away with this for so long already. Mm -hmm. But it has a lot to do, you know, in, in our case, um, you know, I'm a Pomona resident. I've been there for over 30 years and um, I work with the community. I organize and so being a, a tenant at these apartments, I'm a single mother as well, you know, of three boys. So it, it's hard, it's hard and um, you know, you, everything, all the income and everything, you know, it falls on you. So uh, 
With that said, um, new landlords purchased our property and they raised our rent, um, $300, so at one shot. And, uh, you know, it's a little bit compared to other folks where it's $800 and, you know, $900. But luckily, uh, the tenants there did have myself and another gentleman, Jose Diaz, that, you know, we work, we're, we work with our community. So we knew how to outsource and look. And even when that happened, I was like, this can't be legal, you know what I mean? I was like, oh, no, it can't be legal. And, I, and be, having a paralegal background as well, I was like searching and it's legal. If it's, if it's more than, if it's less than 10%, 30 days. If it's more than uh, 10%, 60 days. And it's legal, no matter the amount. So I started freaking out. I went to all of the tenants and spoke to them personally. And I, I, I let them know, you know, hey, are you guys up for this? You know, what's going on? And luckily, every all of the tenants, we have 24 units, and out of the 24 units, 17 tenants united. Wow. So that's one of the things that we have going on there. And you know, we outsource to some of the organizations that we we work with, and and they embraced us with open arms as well. So then uh, we pushed forward, and we started a coalition called Push Pomona Unites uh, for Stable Housing, and um, with a bunch of several other organizations because this this is a domino effect. It's just not tenants because it affects the city as a whole when you're displaced and then you have to go and live with somebody else you know and then there's five six people to a one two bedroom and then it becomes a parking issue then it becomes a sanitation issue and then it, homelessness and then it, it's just like this you know bubble that's about to burst and it already bursted because that's why we're here you know we're here because we're tired and there's something that we need to do about it and so like they mentioned our petition just went in today we're way behind because it has actually affected us just recently and so this is a movement that i'm very proud of and i i'm hitting at full force i'm i'm actually being evicted the sheriff's finally caught me <laughs> um so you know but I'm, I'm embracing it because it's a learning experience for me and not only that I'm able to teach other people. And one of the things is that in Pomona, since we're so far east from LA County, in a sense, we've been neglected. So in order for us to get any kind of, um, any kind of support or anything, we need to, I, I'm the one driving all the way out here. And fortunately, ACE, you know, um, they, they embraced us and, you know, taught me, educated me on how to take all of that back. But in all essence, my the bigger picture for me would be to open up, uh, to to push push forward, <laughs> and have an organization out there that is actually able to have clinics and stuff for for tenants out there. Because sometimes tenants, you know, we could really afford our rent. We can't afford to be coming all the way to LA and traffic and all of that. So that's my main purpose. And whether I get evicted or not, I'm still going to push forward and get these signatures and do what we got to do. Thank you. Isn't this amazing? We have this amazing group of folks here in the room, on the stage, in our communities that are really hitting the pavement. And I think one of the things that Joe touched upon that's truly amazing about all of the five cities and Santa Ana and Orange County that are moving forward with ballot initiatives, moving forward with building out their tenants unions even more so than they've ever been built out before, is that in large part, these are volunteer led, right? These are not 
uh, you know, ma massive labor unions. We love labor, but we also, you know, want to lift up the community. And so we see this happening where folks have very few resources. Uh, they are organizing their buildings. They are organizing their blocks. And they're turning into movements. And I think it's just really, really exciting. Um, we have one more LA County highlight that we wanted to share out, and then we're gonna have a dialogue amongst the room here. This is about the people's plan that Unidad has really led and had some amazing victories on. And Joe's gonna come back up and share a little bit about that. And I'm gonna ask Joe to be very brief because I know this has been um, a lot of presenting out. And then we're gonna go over uh, and hear a bit more um, of some tenant stories and hear from you all in the room. Thank you again. Um, just really inspired by everything folks have shared just now and like the, the spirit and the energy to to be able to say I'm I'm being evicted and then to, to follow that with a laugh. <laughs> I mean the strength that, that folks are leading this movement with is incredible. Um, so in the spirit of brevity, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna power through a bunch of slides here that I'm just gonna skip because I'm gonna if you wanna learn more about Sage and the, and some of the, the broader work we do. We can, we can talk about that during Q&A, but um, you know, these, these slides I'll just kind of slowly pan through, just kind of get back to this issue of how we root our work in the history and the, the lived experience history, and so how we fill out the timeline or the history of displacement in South Central LA as, as one example of an activity that we, we do and we carry that, and we, that's a traveling exhibit that we do. But recognition of, of so much um, that South Central has survived and also thrived around as being a really key piece. You know, just to to name the context, you know, we know, you know, these are just so. If, if you kind kind of get a sense that that middle red spot is USC, so this is kind of orienting us on the map. The the lower red spot is Exposition Park, and that's the 110 going alongside of those. So just in this kind of you know, small part of South LA, there's, you know, several thousand units that are either going up or just went up or were proposed to, to go up, and um, as well as the soccer stadium just opening up, the LA Football Club. Um, so just recognizing how that ha is and continuing to be a threat to the community um, without proper pushback. <clears throat> um, and what that's mean, uh, meant for our community over the years, this is just a quick illustration of just one block the blue is community serving housing, the red is um, student serving housing right next to USC um, in 1999. And in 10 years, this is what it looked like. And that's and now we're almost 10 years out and we know that that's basically all red right now. So it's, it's a real thing, it's not new, it's been going on, um, it, we're in a new phase of it, um, but it's real. Um, this is hard to see, but this is a, an infographic that's in the People's Plan um, highlighting the fact that within um, CD9 and what's known as, some folks might name it as Historic South Central is the most overcrowded um, neighborhood in the country. Um, we have the, the second highest you know, rate of, of homelessness. The highest increase was in CD8. So just, you know, we know all this stuff, right? Um, and just to put it into context, you know, Unidad and our, our members ha have either led as a coalition or have supported um, on individual organizational level, multiple interconnected strategies, and I think it's key to, to think about it in, in the context. And so I'll be sharing more about the People's Plan, which we kind of think of as community-driven planning, um, community-driven development, you know, supporting the creation of a community land trust. Trust South LA is in the room. Um, really want to lift them up. 
um, holding developers accountable, the strategies that are associated with community benefits agreement, and then you know defense of community tenants' rights, um, um, organizing and anti-displacement organizing, right? So um, powering through, these are just some examples of, um, uh, of visions that have been put together by community about how intersectional issues can be built into um, equitable development proposals. This one in particular is around the reef that folks may be familiar with. <clears throat> this map just illustrates several different development projects that the coalition has engaged around and won community benefits um, as part of that strategy. Now I'll quickly mention the people's plan. So this is you know, really um, been a 10-year campaign. Um, it's rooted in all of these different community processes that have related to individual developments, to various planning processes, um, and culminated in this um, proposal um, that is for the community plans of South LA and Southeast LA, which is a part of the land use element. Basically, it's the rezoning of South LA, South Central LA. And we propose four things, displacement-free investment zones, which is a, a suite of uh, various policies, equitable economic development that hits on jobs, businesses, and predatory lending, um, community environmental health that touches on parks, green space, um, oil extraction was mentioned previously, um, and then you know genuine uh, community um, leadership within the process. Um, this is another infographic you can take a look at in the plan, but highlights how the displacement free investment zone concept lives within the, the protect, the preserve, and produce uh, framework of uh, affordable housing. Of course, we know we've got to you know take it to the center of of, of power. Um, at City Hall, and Eric's in the room with us as part of the commission's training, so appreciate him being a part of this movement. <clears throat> um, and just a lot of attention given to the, t the 10 years of community-led process around this, and um, you know, really what's a, a new way of thinking about equitable development. So basically, real quick, you know, hit on um, some of the strongest affordable housing incentives, a first ever known at loss monitoring program, um, a supportive right of return and RSO enforcement built into a land use document, which is another way to, to intersect um, those different strategies. Um, <clears throat> again, uh, you know, pieces around um, local hiring, supporting community serving small businesses, predatory lending restrictions, um, and so forth. <clears throat> and so, just a real quick, you can't read this, um, but <clears throat> it was supposed to be bigger. But, you know, um, essentially, you know, I think one of the punchlines is that, you know, the, the community won, right? And we got out of all the proposals in the People's Plan, which you can find on the UNILA website, or there's a couple copies floating around, about 80% of those proposals got built into the community plans of South LA and Southeast LA. Um, but we know whenever you win a campaign, there's almost twice as much work to be done, right? Um, and so we've, we've held on to the branding of, of the People's Plan and said, okay, well, we need to defend it first. We know that SBA 27 is a direct attack to, on what we want in, within the People's Plan. We need to bring it home and, and make sure that what we want actually gets um, implemented in real uh, meaningful ways. We need to lift up the victory, share the model, and learn from others and the work that they do. Um, <clears throat> I'll skip to the last one, which is make it whole that 20% we didn't get, we gotta keep pushing on that in various other venues. And then the final piece is, is let's build. 
you know, if we think about the people's plan as a policy framework, land use regulations that support equitable development, now we need to, um, to target um, very specific pieces of land um, and take control of them and uh, put forward a community vision around them. So, so that's kind of what we're thinking about next steps and happy to, to share more as we go forward. So thank you. Okay. The People's Plan is a, is a huge, huge victory. So all those that worked on the People's Plan and helped get it adopted here in, in South Los Angeles and uh, were able to, to play any role in the People's Plan, please stand up so we can give you a round of applause. We have Eric here, we see Cynthia obviously played a big role. Yeah, I mean, I think we, we rushed through. We really rushed through a very um, important piece of, of policy that, uh, you know, a vision from the community that really became policy and now can be replicated. One of the things that we're looking at today is opportunities, right, to expand tenants' rights and community-centered development. And we see this as an opportunity to look at other areas in the city and other cities to replicate this same type of model and ensure that this is embedded in the planning infrastructure of our city and our county. Now, we uh, are over time in terms of our panel today. We wanna make sure that we're able to have an interactive discussion with all of you about what you're working on and how we can all better work together to move things forward. I wanna ask, I think there's a few folks that are gonna help with our microphone monitoring. Um, so Shada's gonna take, swap out a microphone here. Um, give the corded one up here. I think we have one more individual. I think Shirley's gonna help um, also with the microphones. So we'll get them going. We're gonna start right over here, Shada, um, with Carolina Rodriguez, who's going to uh, share a little bit about what she has been experiencing as well as the activism in unincorporated LA County, which is an area that we also wanna lift up and then open to many folks around the room as well. So Carolina. Hi, I'm Carolina. Um, I am nervous. <laughs> Um, okay. I live at 4330 City Terrace. Um, it's in the borderline of East LA where there's no rent control. I'm, my building was bought by Winstar, Pro Winstar Properties. Um, they converted my building into a student housing. Um, my rent was from 1,250, it went up to 2,000. It's a uh, eight units. Um, my neighbors had to leave because they couldn't afford it. Um, it was hard. It was stressful. Um, by the time I had ready seek for help, and they told me because I live in in East LA and we don't have no rent control, the landlord could do whatever they want. Um, but my neighbor gave me the number for Vecinos Unidos, and I went out to reach out to them. Leonardo was the one that came out to our building and spoke to us and helped us organize. It was hard because nobody wanted to stay and fight. Um, a lot of families that lived there were undocumented. Um, they didn't want to take a chance. So I'm the only one fighting. Um, I'm sorry, it's hard. It was very stressful, but I decided to stand and fight and go through this because 
I couldn't believe that this was going on, um, that a lot of people, a lot of families were going through the same thing, and they wanted to fight, but they couldn't because they were afraid. So I decided to stand up and do the right thing. And for the long thing, um, I already won four trials. I got evicted four times. I won four. I went to the federal. I took them to the federal um, on February 27. It was a mistrial. So hopefully we'll be taking it back to the federal by the end of April, beginning May. Hopefully we'll get our date. We'll see what happens to that. And hopefully we'll win. Um, but it wasn't easy. There's a lot of people in East LA that are not educated. We need people, come, um, organizations to come out and people don't know how to fight. Even though they want to, they don't know how to get this information. So that's good that on Facebook, there's a lot of stories going on. So every time I have a chance to give an interview, I always give it because there's someone out there that's going through the same situation as I am. And my hear my story and would say, hey, if she did it, I could do it. Exactly. So that's yeah. where we are fighting. For, well, I'm an activist for rent control. Um, it's, I need rent control in incorporated areas in East LA because that's what's the only thing that's gonna help me and other families in our communities. So um, we need landlords. We need more tenants protections. We need we need more tenants protections. Um, thank you for Noah, the LA. The, Noah, he's my lawyer from the Los Angeles Community Center Law Action. Um, if it wasn't for him, I don't know what I would been. I guess I would have moved, but or maybe homeless by now. But thanks to Noah and to Vecinos Unidos, to the LA tenants that always been there supporting me. I'm still here standing and trying to help other communities, uh, helping my community and my neighbors, trying to organize on harassment. Um, landlords harass tenants and that's very important. And we started helping these families and trying to get their stories out there because a lot of tenants are getting harassed by their landlords and we need to put a stop to that. Um, we need to protect our children. That every time that we get evictions, children think, they're thinking it, they're not even, they're thinking, but they're taking it more. We need to give them protection security that nothing's gonna happen to them. They need to be safe. They need to stay in their homes. It's nonsense, but it's hard. We need to protect our seniors. We need to protect them. We need to have them and protect them and have them save and stay in their homes. Um, if I lose, I'm gonna do an occupation, occupation my house. So you guys are all welcome to come and occupy my house. <laughs> all right, let's give it up for Carolina. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your activism. Thank you for fighting for your community. Thank you for your tireless efforts to protect your family. And thank you for sharing your voice and your story. 
We will open it up now to others who may have something to say, and as we're getting the microphone to the next individual that may want to raise their hand, I will also share a couple of housekeeping announcements. So raise your hand if you have a comment uh, or a question for anybody in the room or anybody up here. We um, also have a hashtag for today, so if you'd like to tweet or post on Facebook or Instagram, hashtag unlock justice is the campaign hashtag that we're using for tonight's event and uh, the three initiatives for Liberty Hill Unlock Justice. We invite you to use that today. We also have comment cards. So they look like the skinny little comment card here on the table. Joanna will hold it up or someone will hold it up. If you don't feel like speaking at the microphone, but you do wanna make a comment or you wanna ask a question, we'll be collecting these and then they'll be brought up here and we can go ahead and ask a question both to the folks up here to folks in the room um, and make sure that your voice is heard even if you don't necessarily want to speak at the microphone. And one more thing that I will say that really, really relates to Carolina's uh, testimony and story and experience is that folks should know that not only is the work happening in these multiple cities across LA County, also in LA County Unincorporated, there's an opportunity to seize. The supervisors have initiated a tenant protections working group. We have some members of that working group here today. And they are strategizing to identify what are the ways that we can best protect tenants in LA County, the unincorporated areas of LA County. So please take a look uh, online, the tenant protections working group information. We're gonna go here, and I saw another hand over here. So Shada, maybe if you could bring the microphone um, up, and we'll go ahead and start with this comment or question. Um, Allison Henry, Pasadena Tenants Union, um, Solidarity Brothers and Sisters, is, uh, yes. feels good. PTU did a, um, a little art action on Friday night, a bunch of us dressed as handmaids and walked around our city uh, for art night and it felt really um, satisfying getting signatures in City Hall dressed as an oppressed handmaid and we got a lot of signatures. Um, but actually my questions for Inglewood and for Pomona and anyone else, any of the other tenants groups in the room. Um, as we're engaging with um, door knocking, because we're finding that's going to be a really reliable way to both get, uh, you know, verifiable signatures as well as build capacity, and like you guys were also under the TikTok time clock, um, could you share? I'm finding door knocking, and those of us who are doing door knocking, very rewarding. I've knocked on about 400 doors. Um, people are very gracious, you know, say thank you. Obviously, I'm not traveling around the houses near the Rose Bowl, but like the apartments near the Rose Bowl. Mm -hmm. um, but if you guys could share any lessons learned or thoughts on your experiences around door knocking, engaging people in their homes, when you can penetrate that, that busy bubble, um, we'd really be... And, and, and how to get more people engaged in your campaign, because that's something that we've been struggling with, is just getting people to go out and do it I, I know it's a hard thing to do, but you gotta, it, signature gathering takes a long time, but without the actual going out and doing it, it never gets done. So how do you engage more people in your campaign? So for Pomona, um, we had started door knocking since January. In January we had win, and even, we don't even have the petitions yet, but we went and door knocked and told you know, renters like, hey, you know, this is gonna be coming up, giving them a heads up already. So that kind of helped because a lot of people gave us their phone number and let us know once you have it, I have my sister, my brother, we'll all sign it. 
So we have a bunch of phone numbers where we're gonna call and revisit those apartment complexes where they already know. And it's like, when you knock at every door, everybody has the same thing. It's like, where do I sign? I'm like, no, 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 not yet, not yet. As soon as we get the petition, but they're ready to sign. They're like, where do I sign? We also had, um, I don't wanna say a clinic, we had a, like a kind of like a symposium with all of the organizations that we know of in our city. We invited all of them. We tried to get head leaders and of, of organizations to, to back us on this. And we had a huge meeting and it was, like I said, the, they embraced us, they're like, this is something that we need. And so they have um, delegated one person to make sure that, like let's say for an organization that's gonna be with us, they're gonna be uh, in charge of a thousand signatures right then and there. Like they have to, that's what they, they, um, they, they that's what they pledged. So they're, we're gonna have signing parties and you know, going to the art walks and so we have, we have to hit the floor running because we're so behind. So we put our, our our ducks in a row so we could just, bye, you know, it's time. So hopefully it works out. But I'm sure if we run into some issues, I can contact you guys, right? <laughs> okay, okay, perfect. What's your deadline? I think it's May 4th for 14,000 signatures. Okay. Yeah, so we, yeah. Yes, we have a lot to do. So, I mean, the, the actual signatures that we need, I think is 6,500, but you know how we double it because we just want to be sure? Yeah, but it's it's doable. It's doable, especially with all the organizations that are behind us. So, we're, we're we know we're, it's gonna be done. <laughs> It'll be done. <laughs> I think to that point, not, not to, to talk the same thing because there's a, there's a lot uh, that we've done that is similar. Mm -hmm. I think one of the some of the barriers we're dealing with is that uh, getting into the apartment complexes, right? right? Um, and <laughs> we've, we've tried many different strategies. The, the biggest part of this though is that you either have manager occupied or uh, owner occupied facilities that when uh, when we get in there and start talking to people they tell us that, that we have to leave and when we knock on those doors people are afraid that their owner is going to do something. Uh, so one of the things we have in our initiative, uh, I mean, or, or the charter amendment, is that it's retroactive. So it's going to go back to what it was in October 2017, whatever the rent, rent rates are going to be. Plus, uh, we also got support from LAFLA uh, so that we have um, the little cars for tenants' rights so that people know so we can hand those out while they're assigned so they know exactly what are the things they can do and the phone number to call if your owner does try to do something to you. And that's actually helped to get the numbers up as well because we're, we're sharing uh, the protections with folks. So they know we're not out here just trying to get your signature. Like we, we are really, a, we are the people who live here with you dealing with the same thing you're dealing with and, and uh, trying to solve the issue. Um, I, I wanna ask a question really quick though. If, Raise your hand if you're spending uh, more than 40% of your household income on housing. Okay? This, it, the city of Inglewood, 55% of people are actually extremely over overextended, right? Here's the problem with that. I think it was mentioned by the young lady here. Uh, if people get evicted, Homelessness is actually a very high probability of the next step, right? A lot of folks don't have the ability to move out into other places. And so this story, 
that we're telling. Like we're gathering these stories as well. We have a Facebook page, we have uh, Instagram, Twitter, and we're sharing these stories. Like we about to take over the digital billboards that they just built for the stadium and put our stories on those billboards too so that people who are driving by can actually see because the stories matter as well so that people know, oh, there's people out here trying to do this because another one of the barriers, and I'll finish here, that we're dealing with in the city is that the city is anti the movement. And they have a larger loudspeaker. They have way more money than we do. Uh, like the they have mailers that can easily go. The, the, the mayor started something called Inglewood Forward, which is which is the the city's front of community members who are all in support of all the things that are going on in the city. And those mailers went all throughout the city, right? So we we have a, a messaging campaign that that's fighting against us as well. And so. You know, but we're not afraid of that fight. You know, we're we doing the same thing, gathering the signatures to make it happen. And, you know, we're, we're uh, doing really solid as well, you know. So uh, it's, it's, it's a moving progress. Uh, it's a, a, a moving goalpost, but we're going to get it done. All right. All right, we have another question here. And uh, for folks in the room, please feel free to ask a question, share your creative idea, uh, talk about ways that you're leveraging right now how to create stable rents and affordable housing. Thank you. Um, just listening, we border Inglewood. I'm in I'm in LA, but um, kind of well, I call it the armpit of Baldwin Hills, okay. <laughs> right down the bottom. But yeah. we're very close to Inglewood, and I have a lot of prisoners that live in mm. in Inglewood and come. Um, and we have one of our one of our uh, prisoners also who lives in Torrance. Same thing, rent rent control, and her uh, was bought. The building was bought by somebody, and they just as, you know, it went huge. It went double or triple what it had been. Um, but then I hearing this from from a lot of people in a lot of different cities. It's not just one place. It's it's all over. And um, I think it's something that needs to be brought. Uh, I don't know if it's rent control or what, but it, I mean, it's just it's it's humanity mm -hmm. you know it's, yeah, it's, it's not just you know passing a law it's like come on people do you really need that extravagant amount of money and you're putting it on the backs of the poor so it's 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 can we get out get to the people who are buying these buildings well they probably don't even live here they probably don't even live in California that's part of the problem too so I don't you know it's it's larger I mean I, I'm glad you're doing what you're doing uh, but it really is it's larger and in, in this question that I brought with myself tonight Before I came is driving down San Pedro Street to get here um, Just looking at all of the tents all of the people that are there and We we say we're building affordable housing, but I'm wondering how many of those people that are in those tents can even afford place once we build it and not only that there are um, hundreds and I would say probably even thousands of the people that we see on the street and I, I see them around us that are mentally ill they're not going to be able to live in an apartment um, you know and I'm wondering if this has been brought up even with to to our, our, our mayor you know what what can we do for the, the mentally ill uh, can we use some of this money that we have Pass to build affordable housing, we need housing where we can place the mentally ill that can be taken care of because we don't have the institutions anymore, you know. 
uh, Governor Reagan, you know, yes, closed all did. of them years yes, ago. Right. So it, which only added to the problem. So I mean, I think it's really complex. It's more than just one thing. And we're all working hard on what we're doing, which is good, because we do need to do that. But I think we also need to look at some of the other areas that hopefully don't get dropped. Can right, I, thank you. Can I add something? Yes. Um, a couple of things come to mind in what you're saying. Um, one thing is uh, the, the importance of, of making sure that we don't think of like any, there's no one magic solution, right? And I think well, that's what you're saying. I think what's in it, like, in terms of like supply, one thing that Costa Hawkins would do is it would create, it would, by repealing it, it would create a housing stock that's, that would be available immediately, that we wouldn't have to wait for it to be built, right? Yeah. Um, another thing is when you talk about building, you know, this is happening all over the place, you're right. There's no safe haven anymore. It used to be that folks felt that they, if they lived here in LA and they couldn't afford it anymore, they'd go out to Palmdale or they'd go out to San Bernardino. Or folks are in those areas are feeling the pinch too. When you talk about being rent burdened, it, there was an article that came out last year about the IE and they were talking about renters in the IE though they're making less than workers in LA are equally or more rent burdened in those areas as here. So when you think about it, there is no safe harbor anymore. And if we don't start to approach this in a, in a, in a way where we're looking at many different solutions at one time and, and working at on short-term and long-term solutions, we're, re 